0: Welcome to Buildings and Beyond,
1: the podcast that explores how we can
2: create a more sustainable built environment
0: by focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. Hey
2: everyone, Alex Mirabli here, co-producer and co-editor of the Buildings and Beyond podcast. Although we are nearing the end of Women's History Month, we wanted to shed light on a topic that we feel should be discussed continuously, and that is gender equity in the workplace. Although our industry has made some progress in this area, considering it has, and in many cases still is, a male-dominated field, our guests explain that there's still much to learn. From recognizing microaggressions and implicit biases, to evaluating identity and authenticity, our guests share the experiences that have motivated them to become successful practitioners, leaders, and in some cases, role models for others in the industry. Personally, this episode has opened my eyes to new ways I can promote gender equity in the workplace, and I hope it does for you too. Our guests are Michelle DiCarlo, Associate Partner at jb and President of Commercial Real Estate for Women in New York, also known as Crew, Saida Kirby, Senior Director of Energy and Sustainability Services at JLL, and Aaron McElwee, Building Systems Consultant at Stephen Winter Associates. Here's your host, Kelly Westby.
0: Welcome, Michelle, Aaron, and Saida to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you all here with me today.
3: Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, definitely. Michelle, why don't you start us off with giving us a little intro on who you are and your background?
3: Sure. Um, I'm Michelle DiCarlo. I'm an associate partner at Jarosbaum and Bowles, our full service MEP engineering firm. So I do HVAC design by background. My Current focus is largely on high-rise commercial office buildings, large commercial office tenant fit-outs, and airports. Also, out of my day job, I'm the president of Crew New York, which is commercial real estate for women.
0: Amazing. Thank you. And Erin, what about you?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Erin McAwee and I've been an MEP new construction commissioning agent here at Stephen Winter Associates for about three and a half years now. Um, I mostly work as like an energy code consultant for uh, buildings here in New York City, but I have some experience in the mid-Atlantic and DC regions as well, um, and starting to dabble in retrofit commissioning.
0: Amazing. Saida, why don't you bring us home?
4: Yeah, I'm Saida Kirby. I'm head of sustainable operations for Jones Lang LaSalle. And what that really means is that I support a group of about 50 professionals across the US to help them provide the sustainability services to our clients, either regionally, nationwide, or globally. Amazing. Well, thank you all for being here
0: today. So we are all women in a, in the industry that's pretty historically male-dominated, uh, HVAC and building operations and construction. Um, and we are going to try to release this episode during Women's History Month. So um, I wanted to bring a bunch of female leaders, newer and uh, existing female leaders together to have this conversation. So I'm excited to hear uh all of you talk a little bit more about uh, about that, about gender and the workplace and um, what your thoughts are. So maybe we can talk a little bit about our personal experiences in the field and any challenges that we've faced. Um, what challenges do you still face, even as you've kind of grown in the ranks of your positions? So
4: I guess I can start a little bit on that. Um, with a little bit of a story, I guess, so I'm originally from Middle East, and I was born and raised there and went to college there and Obviously, there was a very obvious sexism you know growing up, you always felt like a second class citizen, but I would say it was very obvious so as I moved to the u s to get my master's degree and then got established here um I always thought that I am past those, you know, kind of discriminations, but what I noticed was that it is still exists in our country as well, but maybe in a different form. And that form was microaggressions. Um, you know, when you're dealing with a very obvious discrimination, you know what you're up against, mm. so you can actually fight that or um, separate yourself for the, from those um, kind of discrimination points and really um, think that you're beyond that. But when you're in an environment that it's microaggression, it's hard to point that out, right? It's hard to say that, well, what you just said is not right or that made me feel comfortable. You can't just really pick up the fight every single time that a microaggression happens. And I feel that my experience in the industry um, has been a combination of these microaggressions that if you don't pay attention to them, they can sit in your subconscious that maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe I shouldn't take that leadership opportunity, or you know other things that um, can be the result of those microaggressions. So I say that uh, that has been a lot of my experience um, in the past, um, but I'm happy to also say as I got more experience in the field and kind of now have much thicker skin when, <laughs> when I deal with situations like that, I'm able to point those out and when appropriate, get into a conversation and really at least have that impact around the people um, within my organization to make sure that we avoid them as much as we can. I think that's such a unique
3: perspective. Starting out in my career, I originally tried to fit in right, and always would wear suits and kind of dress like a man. And then when I became more comfortable in myself in my position as an engineer and started to gain a little bit of leadership responsibility, then I took on more of my own identity and being my authentic self and i think not conforming Mm -hmm. if that's the word i want to use um then allowed me to not be burdened by it and focus on me and being a leader and growing myself and my career um i mean in a leadership position, I'm still often the only woman in the room. And I do feel a sense of responsibility to make sure that if there is a microaggression or somebody is, you know, being blinded by something, that I pointed out because I can now that I have a voice. And that's kind of where I am now in my career.
4: I feel like there are a million examples of that. I mean, I feel like we have to have a full episode around those examples of what happened, what you said about how you dress up or how you had to like, you know, prove yourself that, you know, especially when the technical world, every time I would do a site audit, you know, the first 30 minutes was, hey, I know what I'm talking about. I am a technical person. I am here to provide my technical services like the way that I had to dress up like I often try to dress up however I wanted, but I remember there was this conference, or like a smaller group of professionals um, that were in the same court as mine, and we were having a conversation. There was another woman that I was having this conversation that I don't know what it is. It's so hard to convince these facility managers and site engineers to take action. I feel a lot of times the recommendations that I have is, not being followed by them. And you wouldn't believe it. The first answer that I got was like, well, if you stop wearing what you're wearing and really dress up appropriately more like them, you know, maybe suits, maybe pants, because at the time I was wearing a skirt, uh, maybe they would take you more seriously. And I was so upset by that comment. Out of all the recommendations that you can make, Maybe you should have a better business case. Maybe you point out what their uh, challenges are in the building and you can convince them more. The first comment was about my appearance. And that's I feel like also an example of that microaggression, right? That you with your whole self don't fit within this industry. And look at me, I changed myself, and I like i I'm not sure what she was going through, but that constant message that we have to be someone else to fit in, to then get to the leadership position and trying to change that, I hope that we can uh, move our industry away from that so the you know newer and um, kind of younger generation that come in, they don't have to have that experience. So he's like, pass it to you <laughs> as a young leader, do you still feel some of those microaggressions?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, definitely feel those microaggressions, have experienced those unfortunately. Um, I actually had an interesting um, experience while I was in college that is, I think, think the opposite extreme of what you guys uh, were talking about your experiences being. Um, so in college, I was in a physics program. I, not an engineering program, but I imagine our, my experience for other women in, in undergrad engineering is probably similar. Um, my physics program was like about a third women to two thirds, not horrible, but not 50-50. Um, but there was still I think that overall um, pressure to present yourself more masculine to, to, I mean, no one really dresses up for class anymore, but like uh, just presenting yourself as more masculine to be uh, taken more seriously was definitely the vibe in my physics program. Um, And I hated that. So I actually think I overcompensated and was just super feminine on purpose to i guess challenge that um and it was exhausting like i <laughs> like i dressed up i did my makeup i did my hair i was determined to like present as more traditionally femi- feminine in this physics program and they were just going to have to deal with it mm. and and it was annoying <laughs> <laughs> on my on my end like the eff- the effort that i put in was exhausting but then also it was once I think I was able to establish the fact that I belonged there at that physics program and that I was following along and I knew what was happening and I could ask questions, people did start taking me more seriously. Maybe that changed some of my classmates' perspectives on me, but, um, but professors, no way. <laughs> <laughs> was not taken seriously by my professors at all, and it actually discouraged me from pursuing um, a PhD in physics entirely because I was like, this is... I hate this I hated that environment
4: (laughs) how unfortunate
0: I think that's so interesting that the same vibes kind of could send people in very different directions Mm -hmm. but it's still that feeling of needing to do something one way or the other either needing to stand out or needing to fit in to like establish who you are so that's a really interesting common thread thank you for sharing some of those personal stories is there anywhere within, I, I assume somewhere along the line, you found some support in staying within your uh, career here or here in New York or in the industry? What? Where did you find support throughout your career?
3: So I was recently thinking about this, and I know a lot of people talk about mentorship. Mm. And I realized that early in my career, I didn't have a good mentor starting out but I had a lot of good peers and I don't think it was a term in my vocabulary at the time to realize that there was a lot of peer to peer mentorship mm-hmm. right with the people that I became friends with and bounced ideas off of and we kind of learned the ropes together and I think that gets undervalued and not you know everybody thinks I have to find my mentor or I'm not going to get there and there there's everybody among you that is a resource and can really help you grow. And before I found a mentor, not to say that these people went away, but that really helped me kind of navigating the industry starting out. Um, so a little bit of a, a shout out on, on the peers. Um, and I do think it's important to find a mentor, but not it do, it's organic and it doesn't need labels and just finding the people that you gravitate towards that you can bounce an idea off of or look up to and different people in your circle may be able to provide for provide support in different areas like i had some great technical mentors who i would go to and ask all the technical questions but then other people who were a better fit for me and my personality in understanding my professional development. And so not looking at it as being one person, but having connections in all different areas, whether it's in your firm or outside or the person sitting next to you.
0: I love that. I was thinking very similarly that the, you know, I'm not, there's not one person that I've looked up to, and I've answered the question similarly before, but there's you're interacting with different people every single day, and there's always something that you can learn from somebody or pick up, um, even if it's what not to do. <laughs> um, but there's opportunities for you to learn from your peers, from the people that you know technically report to you, um, from people inside your organization or out. So I love that idea of... Pulling um, mentorship, I guess, rather than looking for an individual mentor.
4: Yeah, I would say I, I agree with that. I think the role of the peers mm-hmm. is very important. I think initially, when earlier in my career, when I was trying to get support or help, you know, I would either listen to podcasts or articles or books. And After a while, this concept was very clear to me that women are over-advised and under-sponsored. You know, I kind of got tired of reading these articles that women need to do this, or women need to do that. If you want to, basically, improve or uh, make a step forward you then have to you know I remember there was this article that was telling that you know women tend to not stay around after um, meetings and men stay around after meetings and make those personal connections and as women you need to also stay around don't just be so you um, limited by that meeting, have conversation, make personal connection. And pretty much every article and books that I was reading, it was just advice, 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 advice. And most of those advices were around what men do. So you have to do similar Mm -hmm. things to then be able to establish yourself. And I think at some point, again, through experience and also some support of the peers, I realized that, okay, enough. I have all the data points that I need to, but I think that that sponsorship and kind of having that ally is very important in terms of making progress. So um, I started investing time to get connected with the leadership within my organization and really communicate about my interests and also proving myself. So then when the right opportunity comes, they can sponsor me for the next step in my career. And definitely did that outside of the you know, the time that I have to allocate in my regular responsibilities. So there's that element of going a little bit above and beyond, too. But rather than asking, what do I need to do? Kind of get another set of advice. I try to focus on communicating what I'm looking after or asking them to provide opportunities or put those opportunities in front of me or make the connections. So then when I'm ready for the next step, they're sponsoring me and building those connections and making hopefully the next step in my career happen.
0: That's really interesting, because when you were first talking about uh, the sort of advice versus sponsorship, I, I struggle with this, and we can talk a little bit maybe next about when we're giving advice or giving support for other, or giving sponsorship for other women in the industry, I struggle with that sentiment of, well you know, I can only control what I bring to the, you know, I can't get someone to sponsor me. I can like maybe influence them by what I'm doing. And it sounds like that's, you did take it upon yourself to get in the room, to be at the table, to like take up your seat, to take up the space. And while that maybe tends to be associated with men, I think it's it is generally a good thing. Like you can't know what's going on in the organization unless you're in the room, unless you're part of those conversations, unless you're talking to people and outside of work hours, frankly. And so you can't make those own, your own connections to where does this tie to my career? Where can I, where can I then ask for sponsorship? I don't know if that, there was like an intentional connection there or you feel like it's a little bit of both? I
4: feel like it's a little bit of both, but um You know, I felt that a lot of time these advices put the pressure on you to, you need to do this, you need to do that, and you need to take actions. And while I'm also suggesting that in this conversation, (laughs) I think all the leaders in general have also a responsibility to start sponsoring. I mean, that happens all the time, I feel, with male-to-male connection, the leader's you know, kind of sponsor um, people underneath them, Male, because there are studies, when you associate to someone that is close to you, they remind uh, you of yourself, you tend to support them more. But I think, you know, I guess at this point, uh, the. I, I want to put that responsibilities on the male and female leaders. It's time for you to also start sponsoring people, making those um, connections, connecting the dots for them, because it's enough of us, I feel, asking women, especially you know, younger in their journey, earlier in their journey, to um, kind of take all these actions. Yes, they need to take action, but at some point it's also the sponsorship for women to really help them uh, move their career forward.
1: Right, I guess you're challenging, one, another way to put it would be just to challenge leaders in the industry out there to look at who your, maybe your direct reports are or look at your mentees, look around your, I guess, de- uh, immediate environment and do they look just like you? Um, or do you need to diversify who you're mentoring?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You can put the onus on people that have more power in the industry in that way. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And what about for you, Erin, when have you felt supported or what,
0: what helps you feel supported in the industry
1: throughout your career? It was, I, well, one the first thing I noticed about Steven Winter when I was job hunting was that you, Kelly, were the one that reached <laughs> out to me for my phone screen, and I was like, a woman signed this email. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wow, I'm so impressed by that already. <laughs> no, but it, I mean, what was so, what I think I got so lucky with was the fact that Stephen Winters, one of the first few places that I started applying to, just has a lot of women in their leadership. So it's kind of this nice little bubble. Um, I think our uh 2021 numbers were that we're kind of evenly split, 50 50 amongst men and women throughout the company. And one thing that I noticed when I was looking up and applying, there were so many women in senior engineer positions, PE's, senior consulting positions. That was that was incredible. I get the job, and I immediately just have um, like all of all of these women in senior positions to look up to. I love that. Switching gears a little bit uh, again, what can men in power
0: do to support the women leaders?
3: Three things came to mind for me. And the first one is to be allies for women and pay attention. Um, Amplify women's voices when you hear somebody talk over her or steal her idea. Make sure you circle back that conversation because they're in the position of power and could potentially redirect or call somebody out for Stealing somebody else's idea. Um, Obviously, we've talked a lot about mentorship. And if you see somebody with potential, become their mentor. But I think the biggest point to what you were saying, Saida, is to be sponsors. Because when it comes down to deciding who gets the next biggest project or who gets the promotion, very often it's the men in the room making those decisions. And that's when their sponsorship is needed and that's where it brings the most value and that's where they can make the most change.
4: I would agree with that and I think we touched on that a little bit um, with the previous question. Um, We often tend to kind of sponsor people that look more like us talk more like us and, you know, you make those um, subconscious connection uh, with them. And it's no secret that we still have a lot of uh, men leadership in power and it's not a balanced number uh, between men and women. So I think um, they have a responsibility to really revisit those sponsorship that we have. Because at the end of the day, you either believe that there is equality in terms of the value that people can bring to the table, especially when we're talking about the engineering and uh, service industry. Um, you believe that both male and female can uh, provide that value in the table to the table or not. So I feel that if you see within the circle of influence that you have, that number is not balanced, then something needs to be done. And it should be a responsibility for everybody, whether men or women in the leadership to make sure that that balance happens. Um, So I would say that sponsorship is very important. Again, advices can be helpful uh, for sure, but I need to see more action. We need more action, more taking risks, I see that risk is taken all the time around more junior male associates or engineers, I want to see more of that in the industry with the females as well. Um, Yeah, that reminds me of something that
0: I've read uh, that, you know, men get promoted based on their uh, potential and women get promoted based on what they've actually accomplished. Exactly. And so, yeah, one of the things that we talk about when we set up our, like, decisions for promotion is you have to prove it and that's the rule here and you could do it the opposite way of no it's always based on potential but you have to make sure you set in a structure that says whether you're male or female you have to prove it before you get up to the next level you have to be performing at the next level before you get um, promoted there
3: we do that too
1: Yeah, great. for the record in (laughs) JLL I do just want I do want to mention this because I think it is really important to backtrack to the call to action to for sponsorship while you're doing so. Um, I think men need to do this and I think uh, women need to do this as well. Um, to look into yourself and examine your own biases mm. and to examine um, your own internalized misogyny that is just a byproduct of growing up in in America, because we have, a, we have as you mentioned earlier, Saida, it's more subtle over here. It's more microaggression focused, but you're not gonna notice that you're making microaggressions all the time, hypothetically, I don't know who I'm, I'm not speaking to anyone in particular. <laughs> yeah. um, you're not gonna notice that you're making microaggressions if you're not looking into yourself and checking your own internal uh, misogynist biases that, again, doesn't mean that you're walking around being a sexist person, a misogynist, but you might accidentally make a comment about a woman's appearance, like at that conference that you mentioned. That comment that that woman said to you was totally out of line, but came from her own internalized misogyny. And so if we just educate ourselves on um, where the internalized misogyny is coming from, usually the media, usually advertisements, Um, Then we can check ourselves and you know, the thought might come into your head still you just process it You go you catch yourself. You're like, oh crap. That was internalized (laughs) misogyny, and Process it and then say okay in the future I'm not gonna let that bother me or in the future I need to make sure to not comment on that woman's appearance um, when she's just looking for business advice
4: I, I like that point and what one thing that I started doing about I would say a few years ago was that every time I challenged myself that every time I was about to pass a comment or make a decision about not only about what women I also think there are different types of biases against you know ethnicity, background, and all that. Internalized
1: racism,
4: similar So every time I was about to make any comment or a decision, I would ask myself if, would I say the same thing, or would I make the same decision if this person was a white male? And I actually, to, to my surprise, there were a couple of times that I backtracked a little bit, said, well, Maybe not. And that helped me to really put myself in check. And I do agree with you, we're humans, and one of the ways that we learn is by seeing patterns and making um, certain decisions about those patterns. And because of, to your point, media or other uh, data points that we had in our lives, we've seen perhaps certain patterns that are not correct or uh, the conclusions that we're making based off of them are not correct. So it it has allowed me by doing that simple tool, you have to develop tool, you can't just mm-hmm. like completely be a different person. By developing those tools, it has helped me to really check for those biases and I found that helpful. So I'd um, recommend it to everybody. <laughs> yeah, I do
1: it too. And I definitely find it helpful. And yeah, because like you said, humans aren't perfect. We are going to accidentally say the wrong thing. It's pretty much guaranteed. Um, you can throw out a quick apology if you did end up saying it to someone's face. <laughs> um, but if it's just in your thought process, you know, you just go, "Oh, I need to. I need to just be better in my own head so that I can be better um, outwards with the people that I'm interacting with."
0: I think that's a great point, point. and I also find for myself, I sometimes I'll. I'll stay in my head and triple guess myself of, well, am I thinking this? Am I thinking that? And it stops me from actually taking action. Mm, yeah. And so I think for me, balancing that with actually t- say say what's on your mind, mm-hmm. but leave open room for doubt and leave open that you might not be right in your assessment, that you've that you've gotten your assessment from some group of things that you've seen and if you stay open for doubt and really be present with the person who you're talking to you can pick up when they're like leaning back in their chair a little or they're feeling a little slumped down and you can say i'm not sure what's going on here for you are you you know like has have i said something like how are you taking this Um, what's, you know, what's going on, how is this conversation for you? And you can kind of bring that conversation out. So together you can find where the biases or where the, and I think that works in everything, both based on, you know, gender or Mm -hmm. race, but also based on speaking truth to power and things like that. And when we have everyone back on the podcast in five years, what will we be talking about then?
4: My vision for the future is that there hopefully won't be women's month or women's day or anything like that. We would hopefully be in a situation that we don't have to highlight a month or a day to basically highlight the importance of the equality that we have to have in the world and workplace and life. Um, so that's always what I say on Women's Day, that happy Women's Day, but I hope we never celebrate this day ever again <laughs> in the future. So five years may be a little bit too <laughs> idealistic, but I'm hoping that if we get together in five years, we can focus on common challenges in our industry or workplace, so we don't have to focus and have examples, like what we mentioned around uh, you know challenges that women have. in. Um, Today,
3: I think for me, in five years, I hope that you don't invite me back because there's so many other women leaders, Mm. right? And that we'd want to hear other people's voices. So just on what Saida had said about not needing all of these women's discussions, right? At CREW and at the network level, right, the vision is always, we don't need CREW anymore. But we know it's not going away anytime soon, so in the interim we're here and happy to support anyone in commercial real estate and the women in the
1: industry.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because will there be a future world where none of those are needed or is there a comfort for people? Like you said, like we, you know, the natural tendency is that you're going to sponsor people that you have a connection with, so should, should we continue to try to build connections based on the connections that we have? And maybe not, maybe it's wrong to sort of like divide it that way and you should sort of look around and find, but naturally you're gonna gravitate towards someone maybe because they ski or maybe because they're a woman or maybe because they live in New York or love New York or love to eat or love pizza or whatever. And is that like, should you encourage that or stay away? I'm not sure, what do you think?
4: I think it's, that should be encouraged but when those connections specifically is exclusive right between a certain for example race or a certain right. gender i think that that's when it becomes problem you can't say like oh you know eliminate all the common points and Basically, I may see someone that we really don't connect, and it's hard to you know, continue that relationship, whether that's professional or friendship or mentorship. So there needs to be some sort of connection, but when you are exclusive with the people that mostly remind you of yourself and you're not really opening the door to others, I think that that becomes a problem. So I think things like crude definitely won't go away in five <laughs> years, has to exist. We still have a long um, path in front of us to elevate really women um, in the industry and leadership. So, and I wanna work towards that. But I'm, what I'm hoping is that maybe in some future, hopefully sooner than later, those networking events would be around, or organization would be around, people that are passionate about decarbonization, mm-hmm. people that are passionate about um, you know, a certain goal, rather than being around, for example, gender, that That's is supposed not, not to do yeah. anything with the goal of decarbonization. Um, but unfortunately, because of that disadvantage that we had throughout the history by not being Um, not having an opportunity to sit at a table. For God's sake, women were not even allowed to pursue certain uh, majors at university. So we have to overcompensate for some of those disadvantages that was uh, imposed to us. So these organizations are needed. Celebrating Women's History Month is needed. Having a day to highlight the accomplishments are needed. But I think in the future, I'm hoping to... Move away from that to the point that we have different common um, areas and common focuses to talk about. Yeah, that's
0: a great point. That was a very good counter to my to my <laughs> point. Thank you. This was really fun.
2: Thanks for listening. For more info, check out the show notes at winter dot com slash podcast. That's swinter dot com slash podcast. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. Our goal is to improve the built environment. If you're on a similar mission, consider checking out our careers page. We have offices in New York City, Washington, D.C., Connecticut, and Massachusetts. If you have ideas for episodes, suggestions for guests, or general feedback about the Buildings and Beyond podcast, we'd love to hear it. You can get in touch by emailing podcast That's podcast at swinter.com. Thanks.